Hey, this is Ryan with Not Operator. Welcome to episode six of Not a Podcast, the Not Operator Podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by Michael. Hello. And Anshel. Hi. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about our usual three topics, gaming, tech, and guns. Uh, to kick us off in the gaming section, we'll be talking about No Man's Sky, uh, and then also some new VR games that are coming out. In tech, we'll be talking about the new Samsung Galaxy Note 7, um, the new crop of graphics cards that are hitting the market, and uh, Anshel's experiences at VRLA, uh, Virtual Reality Convention Los Angeles. Uh, moving on to the gun section, we'll be talking about guns and video games, and uh, some walkthrough of some firearms basics, uh, especially since Michael is not as familiar as he needs to be at not operating. Called out. <laughs> I have a question for Ansh real quick, though. VRLA, was that actually in LA, or was that you wearing a VR headset that looked like you were in LA? No, it's, it's actually an event in LA. Okay. Okay, well, it's like the biggest VR event. It's like make. independent. Okay. Well, to kick us off, I'll, I'll hand things over to Michael uh, to start us off in the gaming section. Cool. So, uh, I guess to start things off, I want to talk about No Man's Sky, which launched today, August 9th. Uh, brand new game on PS4 uh, and PC coming out August 12th. Uh, this game has kind of been talked about for a long time. Uh, it's been in development for a while by Hello Games. Very small team, which is surprising uh, considering the scope and the magnitude of this game. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a procedurally generated space exploration game. Uh, yeah, which is, uh, in, in developers' terms, it's basically randomly generated based on a set of, of parameters that they, you know, tweaked during the, the beta and pre-release sections so that the, the stuff that it generates is coherent and makes sense and is, you know, playable and actually looks good. Yeah, uh... And so what's been so talked about with this game is that if it's even going to be possible to accomplish what they've been saying, right? Because it's such a small team, a small studio, that they're having a game where you're in such a huge universe, basically, where they're saying that, well, there is some sort of multiplayer component where you can run into other people that are playing. Really? Yeah. I th- I, I, yeah, I, no, it's possible. But they have, based on their algorithm, they're going to have a, a 32-bit seated system, which would have made something like 4.1... What's billion the, planets. I was going to say, what's the probability of running this on? Very low because they opted to go with 64-bit seating instead Which because people high. were saying, we don't think you'll be able to accomplish what you say you can. So they said, screw you guys. It's well over a quintillion planets. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. So, so they actually do have a component for you to interact with other people in the game, but the chances of you actually encountering someone are astronomically low to the point that you don't even need playstation network subscription on playstation to play this game isn't it isn't it also true that you can't actually see yourself yeah you can't see your own character right it's first person only i yeah. think yeah Maybe which, you can see a reflection or something like that in the water i don't know but yeah uh, i thought that was a bit weird because you know almost every game you play nowadays has something to do with skin yeah i yeah. think you can you can what i found out today i guess because i haven't really been following it too much other than just kind of what's been out there but what's cool is that you can actually like customize your armor to like have more storage capacity you can customize okay. your ships your gun or your it's called your multi-tool which lets you scan and forage and things like that yeah to me it seems like the next generation of minecraft you know where you've got space this, minecraft this huge generated world where there's no storyline there's no real you know elements of well that's not entirely true there are there are Single-player elements like factions and fighting and space yeah. battles and exploration. NPCs and things uh, like that. NPCs. You kind of have a tiny, tiny bit of a multiplayer component, but really there's nothing other than it's you like, just wander around and, and improve your it's kit. It's like Spore mixed with Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting Except it. Except hopefully it doesn't bomb like Spore. Spore did, I think, yeah. Well, I think yeah, I don't be... think it... 
Well, I mean, Spore was this huge, overly hyped game yeah. made by EA that like totally didn't meet anyone's expectations. The servers <laughs> didn't hold up. It was like a Freshman whole mess. Year college member. Oh, yeah, I remember God, that, that was, too. That was a huge. That disaster. was not the game I was expecting. <laughs> I don't think anyone was. But yes, yeah, so to talk about Wonder Man's Man, the the big draw to it is that. You, you can basically explore this universe, right? You go to new planets that are undiscovered. You can rename them your own. You can call it Ryan, our planet R seventy seven. You know, or yeah. Along those lines, make it your own. You can discover new species of animals and plant life on those planets, right? And they're and they're all different based on the different planets. And it's, it's all procedurally generated, so in theory, you shouldn't encounter more than two of the same, right. or maybe you will in the same area. You know. What's but, also cool about the procedural generation is it didn't apply to just you know the world building. Uh, it applies to species that show up and factions and all that stuff, including the music. Yeah. The music itself is also procedurally generated. Good. Really? I don't know. Um, and it's crazy because the basic code for the procedural generation, the algorithm, is only 1,400 lines of code, <laughs> which may sound like a lot, but for an algorithm that complex, that's <laughs> that's really, really so short. So what does that mean? The code is just really... Concise. Good. Yeah, I guess they, they you know were able to narrow down the set of parameters that really needed to be adjusted on the fly uh and and they were able to fit it into a relatively small code base which is you know impressive from a from a mathematical perspective maybe that's this why game is is quite an accomplishment maybe uh, that's why they're delaying the pc launch until yeah, after the PlayStation. three days isn't really crazy though if it was like a month but i think they, they were set to release it earlier but right. the worldwide launch i think it had something to do with publishing was delayed and so they pushed the PC launch by two days is what they said. I think the original US PC launch was supposed to be August tenth. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys would agree, but would you consider this like? I know it, it's been what two years since the next gen came out with Xbox or one and PS four. Would you consider this kind of like a true next gen game? I, I think creatively, it's probably next gen in terms of how it implements the game. But everything I've seen in terms of graphics, I wouldn't really say next-gen in terms of graphics. Yeah. yeah. If anything, I would say... It's it's funny. I'm, I'm going to say this. Destiny, which I, I really <laughs> didn't like a lot of aspects of Destiny. I will say in terms of interface and, like, you know, control scheme and all that and polish, basically, it was top-notch with regards to that. And that did feel very next-gen, even though it was actually created right. on both yeah. gens. Um, and there are some visual similarities that I saw in No Man's Sky footage with Destiny. Similar, yeah. The UI is very similar to Destiny, and so it just sort of has that that feel to me, which you know fits with the whole Destiny doesn't have a storyline, and neither does No Man's Sky. You know, maybe it's a. <laughs> well, I, I would say I feel like No Man's Sky like really, really pushed the idea that there's no story whatsoever, and you can pretty much just go on your merry way and explore like a space adventurer yeah that's kind of cool right i mean it's, it's your own universe to explore at your leisure like well, what if you just want to stay on one planet and wipe out you know all like the plant life all the animals and just you know be your own right tyrant uh you play it as you want which is kind of cool I, that being said i don't know if that really applies to like all the gamers out there i think i don't know maybe it maybe takes a, a certain type that wants to you know make it to the center of the universe which is i guess the ultimate goal of the game which in theory is where you probably be able to meet other players and things like that. Um, I was just going to make some really inappropriate religious jokes. <laughs> like what? About, yeah. <laughs> about, about about certain religions and believing like you can be the master of plants and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think I think it's going to cater to a certain type of gamer. Yeah. Um, I'm probably not one of those gamers. 
Yes, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask what you guys think about the game. If you're, yeah, I, I know. I like the idea. Yeah, I don't have a PS4. I have a gaming PC, so it's not really. <laughs> yeah, for me. Sort of limiting. Unless it comes on Xbox, which I doubt, considering the game is published by Sony. Um, but yeah, what do you guys? I I was looking at it and I I saw the UI. I saw some of the gameplay elements, and I went again. You know, there's a high level of polish that appealed to me. I said, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do in this universe, and it looks really cool, and it'd be fun to explore. And I sort of remembered my experience playing Minecraft, and I went... I know you played I, Minecraft. I, I had to for a class in school, believe it or not. Uh, it was a, a... Yeah, it was a video games class in the communications department that counted as a technical elective Somehow it doesn't surprise me that you found the one video game class that your school offered. The Half of the class was computer science majors that needed an easy tech <laughs> elective. Uh, and so we had to play some sort of MMO, and Minecraft qualified as one. So I played Minecraft. Okay. Um, and like I said, it's kind of cool at first, and then you go, so what's my purpose here? You know, it's not even like a PvP gameplay where you're competing against other people. You're just sort of wandering for the sake of wandering. And, you know, especially in a case where it's some quintillion number of planets, there's not even the sense of, well, at least I can explore everything and get this feeling of accomplishment. Right. It is it literally never... impossible for that to happen. I picture you just building a giant armada of people and just rolling through the galaxy, destroying planets. <laughs> just to narrow it down yeah. and make it can more manageable. Planets? I think you can. I don't yeah, know. If, I think if you get a big enough ship, you can actually blow up planets. I would totally do that. That's no. the only way I'm going to make the like, game manageable. I, like I don't want to speak, but I think that's what I've heard. It'd yeah. probably be like a real serious time commitment, though, to get to that level. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if there was some sort of storyline, uh, I would feel more compelled. If there was more multiplayer element, I might feel more compelled. But really, I, I wish there was something... You know, you look at games like Skyrim or Oblivion, right? Any sort of Fallout where there are these, you know, explorations and dungeons and whatever, but that's not the real draw of the game. It's a distraction in the game, and what draws you to it is the actual overarching storyline, discovering what happened to the world. And I know that the game has lore. They they did say that there is lore associated with No Man's Sky. You can learn like alien languages and things like that. Right, but it's it's not compelling enough to me to want to jump into it and say... You know, I'm going to devote however many hours to really not progress at all through anything <laughs> other than just yeah. be better at what I was already doing at the beginning of the game. I'm kind of a lazy gamer, so, like, that kind of doesn't really appeal to me. It sounds like a lot of effort. Yeah. Plus, like, I never really liked Fallout or any of the kind of games where you have to kind of grind in order to, yeah. to, to uh, develop through the game. I'm kind of more of along the lines of just, like, I want to be able to play the full game at its full capability immediately. So, but, but it's funny you guys brought up Fallout with that as the game. So I was thinking that oh, No Man's Sky is virtually Mass Effect 1 Mako exploration. <laughs> yeah. Where we're on this little rover going to different You're absolutely and right. for minerals. And so, right. that's, that's, I don't know, I, I kind of enjoyed that. I kind of missed that from another two... But you uh, want well, a whole game of that? Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Right? <laughs> you, you know what I'll say is Mass Effect 1. I felt like that was actually one of the worst parts of Mass Effect right, 1. So there you go. Until I played Mass Effect 2 and went, oh my god, please give me Mass Effect 1 exploration <laughs> again. Scanning planets was the worst type yeah. of exploration I could possibly imagine. Shuttle it wasn't a satellites. mini game. It was the worst type of chore possible. Yeah. Uh, that was miserable. Yeah, that's but funny. you're right, it does remind me a lot of, of Mass Effect 1. But, yeah. you know, better graphics and more stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I think I think it's pretty cool. Uh, interesting concept, right? I, I yeah. wonder. I know we talked about this for other games in the past, but I wonder kind of the longevity of this, kind of how I, I how think long people will keep playing I, it. I think it will be interesting to see if the, this concept gets applied to other games. 
um, in other styles of games, as yeah. opposed to just this specific exploration so, type. So their comparison is to like EVE Online or Star right. Citizen and things like that, right? But, right, but those I feel like are more fleshed out, especially as multiplayer things go, right? And this game, the you know, you're going to have very, very minimal multiplayer interaction. And so I think, again, looking at Minecraft as like the spiritual predecessor to this game, we can look at the same patterns. You know, did games really pick up on... Uh, on Minecraft's, you know, building and exploration and random generation. Yeah, there were some clones, but for the the most part, um, you know, the game industry didn't uh, didn't pick up on those cues. They didn't they didn't you know take Minecraft and go, well, we're going to apply this to first person shooters and all this other sorts of stuff. Um, and with No Man's Sky, you know, I hope that they do because it's a really interesting concept. But I'm not like super optimistic that they're going to do it. Yeah, and what's kind of cool, too, is what I've heard is that they're planning on... I guess it's kind of rumored no one's really announced it yet, but uh, bringing No Man's Sky to VR, which would be pretty interesting, interesting. right? Yeah, playing this on your, your PS VR well, or your... So, so the interesting thing is with VR and, and the fact that this is kind of a, a solitude, you know, like an, a solo game, essentially, I, I feel like a lot of games... Not not all, but many games are successful because of the social component of it. Um, I personally don't really enjoy playing games when I play by myself. Yeah. Um, even if I'm playing a multiplayer, I, I just like I prefer playing with friends and people that I I know. Um, and I feel like you know these kinds of games have limited potential because social the social aspect of gaming is so so important. Right. I mean that's why MMOs have proliferated as a genre. Right. Right. Uh, this is sort of breaking from that mold, which is cool. You know, it's it's um, an interesting thing for them to do, to take that sort of MMO mold that's been around for, what, 15, 20 years or whatever, and going, we're going to, you know, have a different take on, on this whole yeah. thing. I kind of view it as kind of like a chill game, right? You're not, like, stressed out competing online. You're kind of going through your own pace, like, exploring the galaxy. So it's kind of like a good way to, like, unwind, and, you know, like a relaxing game, kind of like how Minecraft is, you know? Yeah, um, and a lot of gamers see value in that. You exactly. know, they just want to sit home, relax, and, and zone out and so do your own yeah, thing. Yeah, so your friends aren't around to be able to play a game with you and just, you know, yeah. work on your upgrading your ship and exploring more. And and getting back to your, your allusion to VR, yeah. um, I, I think in terms of VR games, um, it'll be really interesting to see uh, what, what AAA titles will become available for VR. Because right now, if you look at most VR games... They're all kind of indie. Um, if you go on the Steam like store right now, I think it's close to 300 games, oh, wow. which is kind of a lot, um, considering the platform is like less than six months old. Right. Um, and a lot of the games are kind of crappy. <laughs> um, initially, during the launch, uh, Valve and HTC had done a really good job of curating like the first 60 titles, and they were all pretty good, some better than others, obviously. But overall, they kind of all brought something different to the table. And now, there's just, like, so many games. And I'd say, like, two-thirds of them are, are kind of junk. Mark is just sort of getting oh, slutted with people hoping to cash in. Sounds like the phone app store or something like that. It's, yeah, exactly. It, it's it's kind of it's kind of bad. Like, I was just looking at some of the titles that launched, like, in the last week or so. And one of them is, like, a, like an enterprise, like, not enterprise, but it's, like, a essentially a, a productivity app. Um, that's probably the best app that's come out this week. Really? Because it's been in developer for, for a long time, and it's made by a, a pretty serious developer. It's called Envelope VR. Okay. And it, like, actually lets you have, like, virtual 
like monitors in Oh, that's cool. Yeah, like, that's what Kilroy's been talking about for a long time. Yeah, that's so you dream. can have virtual monitors in VR wow. and and have them both flat and curved based on, you know, and you can move them in and out, zoom them in and out. And it's actually pretty cool. Like it's a decent app, but like all the other apps that came out this week, I was just looking through them. I'm like, I don't really see anything that kind of catches my eye. <laughs> I'm going to tell my boss I don't need my curved monitor anymore. I just need Heads up. A, a, an HTC Vive, yeah. and I'll have my virtual desktop. The, the only problem with this, as far as I know, I'm not sure if they've fixed this limitation yet, but right now, you still have to have the physical monitors. Yeah. So, like, I have three physical monitors, therefore I have three physical, oh. or three three virtual displays. That kind of sucks. So you still have yeah, on the yeah. monitors. I, I, I think that's going to go away, obviously. I think it's just a driver it's or infinite something OS-based. I'd like that. That'd be or awesome. Stri- yeah, it's, that's I think some, it's like, just, minority report yeah. type stuff, yes. you know? Or you could do it in AR. I mean, that would be my minority report kind of That's style. true. Yeah, it's more but, AR. But the reality is, like, you know, there are AAA titles coming. Like um, what? So there's... Doom, the new Doom oh, yeah. game is going to be available in VR, I, I believe, next year. There's Fallout too, and then Fallout, yeah. So they're they're porting both of those games to VR, um, and they had they had some of those at um, the Bethesda event at E3. Yeah, but I of course didn't know about the event and scheduled my arrival to E3 the night of that event. Oh. Yeah. So like, Sunday everyone was like, "I'm getting to my hotel," and everyone's like, "Oh, did you go to the Bethesda event?" I'm like, "Uh, what Bethesda event?" <laughs> but I went to everything else, which was awesome. But what I, I want to see is, you know, it's cool that they're porting these games and we'll finally have some AAA support in VR. But I want to see a AAA game built from the ground up for VR. Because I think that's where we're going to see, you know, real innovation or, or at least, you know, mainstream innovation, right? right? Indie games will push the envelope, but for, for pure polish... So- we're going to need to see a AAA title that, that fully utilizes VR platform. And from my knowledge, there are two AAA titles. You could call them AAA because they're from AAA developers. Um, and those two are probably the closest that you've got. I, I've seen us get to a you know, AAA VR title that's built from the ground up for VR. And that first one is uh, made by Ubisoft. And it's, I forget the name of it, but basically you're a, like a crow. And you're flying through Paris, and they're what the the way they were able to you, you know convince the bean counters to allow them to do a I VR title. Sorry, <laughs> um, but I mean the accountants right. They, they have to be able to justify the cost. And yeah. basically, what they did is they reuse a lot of the um, assets from Assassin's Creed. In terms I was of about to say, as a crow of flying over Paris. You were playing as a tiny part of an Assassin's Creed game. Right. So basically <laughs> what it looks like is they've reused all of the geographic a- assets of Paris, but you fly through and like you're competing with other crows and you fly through the city and like it's it's actually sort of like a flying racing game. Yeah, kind of like a racing game, but it's also like you you're trying to take each other down and stuff like that. Like it's really interesting. Hmm. Bird um, need for speed. Right. And it, it it's the way they do it, it's smooth and it, and it moves quickly and it, it feels natural. Um, and the other title is also made by Ubisoft, or at least published by Ubisoft. And it's um, Star Trek Bridge... I'm going to get this wrong. I want to say Bridge Command. But it's something... It's basically sure, Star Trek. You're something like bridge, that, right. that they were making a, a Star Trek VR yeah. game. So I've actually played it. It was nice. one of the first games I played at E3. And it's kind of cool because each person, there's four people playing... And first of all, the awesome part is it's PlayStation, uh, Vive, and Oculus. So oh, nice. all three. Nice. And the people who are playing 
um, can play cross-platform and they can play, play with each other. Wow. And uh, it's four people and you have the commander and then you have like a, an engineer and then you have like a, the um, weapon specialist and I think there's one more. I forget what it is. But basically there's four, yeah. four roles. <laughs> Do you get to choose your shirt color to determine whether or not you live or die? Everyone's red. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and the cool thing is like um, because this game is... Um, essentially everyone has a panel in front of them and they control the panel and what they do is they move their their hand controllers be they oculus touch htc vive or playstation and they touch stuff on the display but you can like turn to each other and look at each other and wave and like and like can you punch you, <laughs> strangle you're not really you're not really that close to each other because you're in a bridge right right but like you can see the dude who's like the cat the, the commander or the captain behind you like He's waving his arms waving his out. Like, he, can, he can tell you what you're doing because the way way they had it set up was one of the guys who was like a developer of the game kind of led the whole thing and mm-hmm. then there were three other people that were kind of just listening to him and talking and doing banter and it was really entertaining and honestly considering how simple the game is um, in terms of actual interface uh, it was really fun and yeah. it was because it was so heavily social yeah. and the cool thing is you know there's not just missions you know going through space and completing these different missions trying to save people from from you know uh, ships that have you know been attacked or you know protecting something else you can also ship versus ship oh cool like you know actual that's pvp cool. yeah so space that'll be, battles that'll be really interesting because it'll be pretty realistic in terms of you know having to have people pull up the shields you know send torpedoes uh, pull people in, all those kinds of cool that's things. Cool. That's we're, pretty cool. We're training a whole new generation of astronauts with, between No Man's Sky <laughs> yeah. and VR headsets and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty cool. I, I think I think uh, we obviously need to fund NASA a little bit better so kids, <laughs> kids can have actual We're spending too much money on video games. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah. Well, but I think Maybe that's know, where NASA should be at. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, so I don't know if you know this, but NASA has been working with Microsoft to develop an AR experience for HoloLens oh, wow. on Mars. Oh, I thought you were going to say Flight Simulator 2016 in space. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, that's a possibility, but obviously space they need the simula- funding. Space Flight Simulator. But I mean, with, with the way game engines are today and, and the fact that game development is, you know, more streamlined than it used to be, um, there's potential for anything like that. So that's awesome. just give them the money and it will happen. Nice. That's cool. So since we're talking about VR, maybe we can uh, get into it. I'll show your experience at VRLA if you're uh... sure. Um, so this is officially the start of the tech section. By the way, we just had seamless integrations, and you kind of just ruined that. Well, you know, I've, I've got to put it in the description, the time code, right? So yeah. Anyway, continuing with our perfect segue. <laughs> uh, so VRLA is one of the first VR conferences, um, and they do two events a year. So they do like one in the spring slash winter and then they do one in the summer slash fall and they kind of just you know twice a year and i like the way you say this as if it's recurring but it must have started like what a year ago no well actually, they only had one so far i think they, <laughs> yeah, exactly i think they started in 2014 but the first one i went to was in 2015 okay because i was gonna say like it's funny to say like this recurring event when it must be pretty close to new it, it's new but i mean it's new enough that there's you know it started with like less than 500 people i want to say like 100 and they were organized through meetup.com. Wow. And now they're using, you know, like actual... Convention centers. Yeah, they're stuff. using the LA Convention Center. Wow. So, so they started like, you know, I think it was Digital Domains offices. And now they're taking up the, not the entire, but a huge chunk of the West Hall of the Convention Center in LA. 
So there were over 6,000 people at this event. That's awesome. Which, I mean, the la- the first one I went to was in March of 2015, so a year and a half ago. And there were 500 people, maybe even less. And now there's 6,000. So, like, this event is growing with the, the growth of VR. Um, and the cool thing is, you know, there's a lot of VR conferences out there, and they're all kind of focused on one thing or another, um, be it hardware or something geographical. But VRLA is none of those. VRLA is pretty much just focused on content hmm. and informing content creators and also showing new content. And when you say content, you mean like TV type stuff or, or games, everything, everything. any LA. type of media. It's LA music videos. Um, I saw some really trippy music videos that I like my mind shut down <laughs> um, in VR and in a, So they had like these 360 degree domes. And they were projecting this stuff. So it wasn't really VR. Maybe like a seep agent now. They like brainwash. Yeah. Like the brain code will get you. So, so the guy who does it, people. his name is um, Andrew Jones. Pie. His name is Andrew Jones, but he goes by Android Jones. And that's like his artist <laughs> name. Five, does he use an iPhone? I just have five yeah. grandma's boy. <laughs> I, I don't know, but... <laughs> My name is JP. I'm a robot. <laughs> but, it, I mean, honestly, they had like multiple setups of like this really trippy experience. And I had it in VR and like you get to... So it was like tilt brush. But like super trippy tilt brush, and like you get to you draw with like like twenty different brushes in each hand, and like they're different geom- geometrical shapes, and it's just mind blowing. And that was not even the same thing as what I was witch- witnessing in the dome, which was just this this video sequence that just blows your mind as you're watching. And like I was kind of tired because I woke up at like four in the morning to take the train up there and Dude. head back. So this was like at seven o'clock, and I was like, I don't know what happened, but it kind of, like, really chilled me out to the point where I passed out a couple times <laughs> while I was with, sitting with, in a beanbag. With the headset on? No, it was, so when I passed out was in the beanbag okay. chair, not with the headset on. Okay. Um, but it was it was, it was was really trippy. You blacked out for a second. You blacked out. <laughs> I mean, then I could have become a sleeper. I woke up to the Monolies. <laughs> but, I mean, there were other cool things. Like, there was an actual VR rave where they have these backpacks um, made by a company called Subpack, uh-huh. and it, it literally has bass, and it, you can feel the bass in your body, <laughs> no and then you can wear a VR headset, and there's a DJ with an HTC Vive on, and he's DJing, <laughs> and you can see him in VR, and he can see you in VR, or you can watch the big screen, which is like a 3D screen with 3D goggles. Yeah, that's like the next it. step in the silent raves, you know? Right, you could totally have a silent rave. There would n- be no need for music, because you have that's the headphones on. Oh, yeah, you, you never heard of, like, silent raves? No. It's just, oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. it's like headphones. Yeah, everyone wears headphones, and all the music is just being, you know... Beamed to their headphones. Beamed to their headphones. Yeah. So this everyone's was, dancing it's a, in it's silence. Like a, it's a common thing that so I should have known about. It's, I thought it was well known. It totally could have been a silent rave. They just kind of... I think they didn't do that because... Demo, for, for people who are around watching yeah. that didn't have the headphones on. Because otherwise it would have looked really weird, right? Yeah. They, silent raves look weird. Yeah. Because people are like walking around, they're like, mm, yeah, and they look weird. Anyways, that's awesome. So they had that too. Um, Can they I had, topic next week? Sorry. They had some, <laughs> some crazy roller coaster experiences. Um, there was one thing. Were people falling over? Because those no. videos on YouTube are the best. <laughs> no, no. So, so there's like a railing that you hold on to, and they actually, you, you put they your hand through you, straps man. so you don't actually have this problem at all. Um, it's designed so that you, you know, don't lose your shit. Um, but it, it's great. Uh, it was actually much better than I expected to. Because, I mean, let's be real. Uh, VR roller coasters are probably going to get you sick. I didn't get sick. That's and it was really fast and wow. very intense. So I'm feeling sick just thinking about it. So. And I, think, I think part of, part <laughs> of their, their trick is that the platform kind of moves just the right way. 
to prevent you from getting motion sickness. Gotcha. So the angle isn't like too off. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was really cool. Um, there's another really cool thing that I tried out where you're sitting and you're watching like a, I forget what it is. One of those mobile games where there's like people attacking a wall and you have to defend it. Clash of Clans? I think it's Clash of Clans. I don't know any of these mobile games, but, um, you're in the game and I think it's Clash of Clans and what's happening is like there's giants and stuff blowing up and like, but you can feel the wind when stuff blows up because there's like a little machine blowing puffs <laughs> of air at you just at the right time wow. while you're watching a VR and when there's a fireball it also blows heat at you so you that's can feel cool. the fireball it's like those 4D shows at Disneyland that's the first thing that I hear everybody say when I describe it and I have a feeling they're probably gonna you know pitch this with a VR headset together Studios, as yeah. a 4D Universal experience Universal Studios and right I mean I, I wouldn't even call it 4D I'd call it something even crazier because of 5D the, uh, Real D Real D well, Real that's, D that's already I should copy that oh, oh, copyright. Okay. Real D yeah that's a trademark of whoever most I, real it's D it's literally I think it's literally the trademark of Real D as a company oh, uh, okay. yeah they do I make, thought I was onto something they make the 3D classes whoops um, but yeah were so, most of the headsets that people were demoing with were they using the Vive or was it proprietary like so, what was the so de facto standard the interesting thing is at different conferences that I've been to over the course of this year it's mostly been HTC Vive because HTC has been an easier company to work with. Um, they're just easier to get to. The headsets are easy to get a hold of. Open they're, source standard. They're easier, just generally easier to work with. But I would say at VRLA, there were definitely more Oculus Rift headsets than I have seen at other conferences. And I would think that would associate that with the fact that Oculus originally started out in Irvine. Um, so they have a little bit of influence on, you know, exactly where geographically, you know, there's a lot of probably former Oculus people that live in LA. Um, so they kind of just, you know, moved towards that. Plus, I think it's a little bit more, um, kind of fits the model that a lot of Hollywood is used to, which with protected content and, you know, um, console based kind of, um, right. Closed, closed systems, right. basically. Exactly. But at the same time, it's still kind of easy to develop for. Um, so I, I think, I think there were definitely a, a good mix of both. Um, I wouldn't say one really had more than the other. Um, some actually had both at okay. the same booth. Well, it's cool that, you know, it's nice to have a de facto standard and, and have one be like the flag bearer for the movement. But, but really, it's like the console market where you do want to have viable competition in the marketplace so that the technology doesn't become stagnant. And, totally. and the costs will go down too. Which is yeah, really that's the other right? thing. You that's really want competition yeah, and in that, I mean, that space. One of the craziest things I did there was actually um, this VR trike. Which is, I sat down on a trike with a computer inside of it, and I put on an Oculus Rift headset, and I drove around in a, like a like an in, internally VR environment wirelessly on a trike with like a little gas pedal, and I was basically driving around in like a figure eight, but I was doing it in VR, so I was like staying within the lines, and it was really trippy because. I didn't get any motion sickness, yeah. even though I was driving yeah. in VR. I was not- thinking that a perfect solution for, or a perfect application of VR will be, you know, indoor bikes. Because, you know, my dad is, is big on biking, and a lot of people I know are really into biking. And I say, you know, they complain about, you know, you're definitely going to crash at some point, drivers <laughs> are terrible, etc. And I go, well, why don't you just, you know, hit the stationary bike? Well, it's boring, it's not the same. Hmm. That's true. I mean, who wants to just sit there and whatever? So if you could create, you know, a VR solution to that, just like being outdoors, except you have AC, which, let's be honest, is nice. Uh, no risk of getting crashed into. 
the one you know factor that you have to take into account is wearing a headset is probably not very conducive to sweating excessively. Right. Yeah. So you do need to have like a, a different little like face face cup. Uh, there's one specifically designed for sweat. Interesting. Um, so you can prevent your headset from getting gross and clean it easily. But to what you're speaking to, it already exists. It was actually at one of the first uh, events I saw. It's called Verzoom. Not surprising. And it's literally a bicycle that you that also like they. It's a cheap bicycle, like a hundred dollar bicycle, but they sell it to you for more, obviously. But they bundle it with a bunch of games, huh. and all these games exactly. use your pedal power. To run the game, so one of the pedal, one of the games is a racing game where you're you you you're leaning determines how you turn, and your pedaling determines your speed. And um, essentially, your formula it's like Formula One racing, but you're a puppy. <laughs> it's Formula One racing with puppies. That sounds adorable. Um, you know, the craziest thing about that bike is that it's not actually a stationary bike. You're on the road, <laughs> and you're doing this in VR. Your battery doesn't run out. Yeah, you better you better hope you don't hit anything because you cannot see where you're going on that. But yeah, so there's that, and then that same that same bike also has an app. So I played three different apps with that bike. There's one where you're a cowboy and you're riding on a horse and you're trying to lasso like. <laughs> Outlaws, okay. so you have to deter- You have to speed up your cycling to catch them, and then lean to the right or left to move behind and to the side or whatever. And uh, the other one was you're like a Pegasus. You're riding on a Pegasus. Sounds magical. The faster you spin, the higher you fly, and that was actually the hardest because like you really have to try hard to get yourself like high enough to yeah. not hit a mountain. Get some lift. Yeah, um, but I mean it's, it's a really great application, and you know uh, actually. We're going to talk about fitness and VR. Um, there, there's a really interesting uh, other application that I've seen where um, they put your you put a Vive on, obviously, and uh, it's a rowing machine. It's just a regular rowing machine that you would see at the gym, but in the environment you're rowing through like the Amazon or you're rowing cool. through the ocean or whatever you whatever environment you have. And there were like thirty of them. Lava. Yeah, I'm sure they could do lava if you really want, right? And the thing is, is that like it looked pretty decent and like. I enjoyed it. My form is not the best, but I enjoyed myself and I was definitely getting a workout. And this was in Taiwan, so like thankfully it was air conditioned, but I still worked up a sweat. And then there was another one that wasn't really an exercise app, but it's like I think it's called Birdly. I could be wrong, but basically you're flying as a bird and you flap your arms and as you flap or you you tilt you can control how you fly through the air wow. and you fly through like Manhattan or something like nice. that. But it was really, I mean, there's a lot of applications of VR for, for fitness. Birdly so, sounds like the name of a startup. And so I know, I know. That's, <laughs> it, it, probably, it probably is. Yeah. But I know it was something bird flight, yeah. something related. I'm calling now the first company that somehow manages to combine those fitness VR games with Pokemon is going to make a billion dollars. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the funny thing well, is... Well, not the one who comes up with it. The one who comes up with it and gets licensing rights. Okay. Yes. Well, the thing is, you know, there's even some trainers out there, like uh, the the founder of Bodybuilding.com has his own VR startup that he is developing. A, oh, I heard something about right, that actually. So, so he's developing a VR solution that will be used in in gyms at least initially, and hopefully, you know, mass market. But basically, developed in gyms to make training more fun and easier huh. for people. Um, yeah. I was wondering about that. It's the, sort of the same issue as the bike. Where I imagine wearing a VR headset while working out, especially while doing weights, cannot possibly be very comfortable. Right. Well, that's why it has to be really lightweight. That's why it's probably going to be smartphone based, and that's why it's probably going to be very, very, very light. Gotcha. It has to be right. right. Yeah, because I mean, otherwise it's it throws no, off your balance. Yeah. And... 
I'm, I'm curious to see where they go with that application. Cause yeah. And I'm, I'm probably going to keep following it just because it's really interesting. Yeah. You have to come back and talk to us about it. Yes. Yeah, of course. Anyways, so moving away from VR a little bit, uh, we had a couple other topics in the tech section. So figure we can talk a little bit about the new Samsung Galaxy Note 7 that's uh, coming out in three weeks, four weeks, something like Actually, that. Actually, a little over two weeks. Oh, really? I thought it was a September no, release date. No, not even two weeks. It's August 19th. So I thought it was September. Yeah, it's not even two weeks from now. Um, it's. I think it was like two weeks from the day they announced it. Or, yeah, two day, two weeks from the day they announced it, which was like last week. Um, but the interesting thing is, it, it actually has a Gear VR, which is, you know, related. Related. But... but um, yeah, the reason why the Samsung Galaxy Note 7 is actually pretty cool is there's a lot of improvements that they've made to it that they didn't really ever make to the Note line. Um, one, it has it's it's water resistant, which you can call waterproof because it's waterproof for 30 minutes, and I think it's like 10 meters. Right. Um, it has memory card slot, which they didn't have before. Thankfully. Um, and so, so it has a recognition, like, I don't know if it's facial recognition or iris recognition right. so, for unlock. So, so what it is, I, I was going to get to that one, but basically it's iris recognition and fingerprint. So you can have both. Mm. So the cool thing is, um, ignoring the fact that they've upgraded the processor, has an HDR display, um, it also has iris scanning, which means you can unlock the phone with your thumb and then hand the phone to someone and they still can't access <laughs> certain folders in your phone unless uh, they do the iris scan so you can like literally protect your data even if their phone's unlocked technology is getting scary <laughs> well i mean to, to be fair like that as actually probably one of the best applications that's pretty cool that's for security good. right because like if you really have protected data you can super protect it right i wonder though so i know there's some issues with the law here in the u.s where you cannot be compelled to give up a password but you can be compelled to give up your fingerprints which they can utilize to unlock a device that's locked Correct. with nothing but a fingerprint. I wonder if, you know, they can force you to, you know, not provide your well, eye, but like if use a scan of your iris in order to if you're unlock a phone. If you're super paranoid, you can actually enable two-factor and require a pin and a scan. Right. And be, that scan can either be an iris or a finger. But I just want, I'm wondering if iris it's, scan will qualify as constitutionally protected or not. Um, I mean, it, it's going to be a biometric so it's probably going to be identified just as a fingerprint. Um, but the thing is, is that iris scans are actually more difficult to spoof than a fingerprint scan. So the likelihood that someone will copy your iris scan and be able to access your device is highly is unlikely. much lower than it would be with a fingerprint. Um, because, I mean, first of all, they have to get a scan of your iris. Right. And, and then reproduce it perfectly at a ridiculously high resolution. Well, we've seen it all in the movies. It's you just the carve eye. out the eye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. We're, we're, moving, we're moving towards that. I mean, someone should probably test that, but probably not on a human eye. <laughs> yeah, that, that's yeah. a good idea. Like on a, or on a like live a, human. Live human. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I mean, the Note 7's awesome. They, they increased probably the battery. Probably Samsung did test that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they, they haven't... I don't think they've actually classified the the security yet, but they'll probably get that. Yeah, if there's a disclaimer on there that says not tested on animals, because if it doesn't, then we know for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but but the thing is, the Note 7's really nice. Um, it, it's pretty much an upgrade across the board on every every way for the compared to the Note 5. They skipped the Note 6. Yeah, that's weird. What's up with the misgenerations? Like I, a Windows think, 9 type I situation. Think, I think what happened was Note, Note they had the Note Edge, and it didn't have a number. We don't talk about that one. So, so they, <laughs> they did technically have six. seven. They did technically have seven numbers, 
but um, they just never called a six. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, even though the Note Five, I believe, was the sixth one. It's it's funny that Samsung is now moving back to because they have you know the U.S. variant and the international variant. They're running their own Exynos processors internationally and Snapdragon in the U.S. And for a while, Samsung had ditched Qualcomm. They said, our baseband chips are good enough. We're going to stick with our own processors. And I'm guessing that SOC was not sufficient as a baseband chip anyways. Right. So, I mean, the reality is no one's going to question whether or not Qualcomm has the best modems, because they do. Yeah. Um, It's really a question of, like, what features you're going to be able to use long term. And the interesting thing is, I just found this out yesterday, um, there's a there's a wireless connectivity feature called 4x4 MIMO, um, which basically allows you to have the ability to access four antennas on the cellular side, which effectively improves your signal strength, your bandwidth, everything gets better. And the Note 4 is the first phone to have this capability. So you could see like the Note Seven, or sorry, Note Seven. Thanks. So the Note Seven has this is like the only phone that has this capability. They haven't officially announced it or even talked about it, but like some people went into a store and basically went into the engineering mode and found that there's a testing mode for it. Wow. And uh, the thing is, the mo- the Snapdragon modems are capable of doing this, so it's not even a question. It's just you have to implement the antenna, the four x four antennas in hardware in order for you for you to be able to do it. And I don't think Samsung's modems support it. So I think only the Snapdragon variants will have this elevated um The question will, will be, will they have that enabled? I, I think it's a, it's a no-brainer because the, the like, yeah, T-Mobile is already rolling out 4x4 on their network side. So we know it's coming. We just don't know where or when. Um, so I think the Samsung uh, Note is going to be the first one. And actually, if you watch how Samsung has rolled out their Notes... The Notes have always been kind of the first one to roll out with the new cellular technology because it's a bigger new technology phone. in general. They were the ones who jumped into micro USB 3.0, you know, which actually didn't really catch on. We moved to Type C, but right. I remember the Note. I forget which one, but it was the first one to jump on the USB 3 train. And the Note 3 was the first one to do 4K video recording. Okay, so, so yeah, and that was like years before Apple. Right. Well, Apple's usually often last of the game when right. it comes to. But it was still impressive. I remember playing with it at CES, and I was like, mine, my mind was boggled that I could record 4K on a phone, but couldn't do it on, like, an affordable video camera. Yeah, even a $1,000 camera right. at that it time couldn't it. was thousands of dollars to record 4K. It was crazy. But yeah, the Note 7's a pretty sweet phone. Do you know I, what it's going to really go for? Yes. So there's only one variant, and there's no edge. It already has a curved display, so you don't have any choice there. Um, it comes with a stylus standard. Also, 64 gigs standard. Yeah, I saw that. So That's no messing thankfully. around. And if you get it now, there's a, a, a promo where you can get it for 256 gig memory card with it as well. Wow. So I'm preparing you for this because for the price. price is 850. Ooh, okay. that's um, steep. But so, I mean, compared to iPhone, it's right. terrible. So, I mean, if you go and check out a 64 gig phone, you're probably going to be close to 850 to begin with. And I think Samsung utilizes the latest feature from Android 6.0, which is. Um, the SD card integration so that it considers it one block of memory. Right, and Samsung also has some pretty fast um, memory on board, so they'll probably have some of the fastest SSDs in this. In yeah, the, uh, and no one will be able to compete. You know, you're getting a 256 gig micro SD card, you know, meshed with onboard 64 gig. You're talking, you know, over 300 gigs of. So you guys are saying you recommend this phone over an iPhone? 
Right now, right now, yes. Over an iPhone, yes. But the one downside is buying a Samsung phone. You get Samsung software, and that uh, means you know uh, what is it? TouchWiz. They're still calling it. I touch think whiz. it's still called TouchWiz, but I haven't really heard that word used in a long time. So I think it's like a it's like a swear yeah. word. I, I, w- like I wish they had. I wish they still had Google <coughs> Play variants of their phones because yes, you know, the, I I don't know if it was Google who phased it out or the OEMs, but um, man, that that would have made it way more appealing to me. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, the Google Play variants were cool. Um, but the problem is, is that it takes effort to get those drivers to work in open source. And a lot of the companies don't want to do that because it, it exposes their software to others. Right. And their efforts and their R&D. So that's why a lot of companies don't want to do it. But ultimately, what I would like to see is, you know, the, the golden thing would be to have the carrier, the, the you know, the, the version that you get with the phone, and then there's like a mode where you press and you go stock Android. Right. And it just, you know, you will lose some functionalities, you know, some camera modes, some things like that. But at a fundamental level, everybody supports this fundamental stock Android mode. Right. You also mentioned, by the way, that there's only one variant in the U.S. Does that mean that they won't have a CDMA, or does that mean that the phone will be able to utilize all U.S. bands? No, it's essentially, I mean... So there, there is as as a technical term, there's one version of the phone, but there are multiple specific. Well, so 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 yeah, there. As far as I know, there won't be carrier specific models, but regionally specific because there will still be Exynos versions in other places in the world. Right. So the U.S. and China, I believe, will have Snapdragon. Everywhere else will have Exynos. Um. So those will be different processors and modems. But in terms of other specs, everything will look the same. Same memory, same screen, same So theoretically, memory. you'll be able to buy one from T-Mobile, and if you want to switch to Verizon, presumably it'll support CDMA, you know? I believe so. I haven't looked at the band support for it, and Samsung's site isn't really that forthcoming with the band support. But, you know, lately, the latest smartphone models pretty much support all carriers. Gotcha. Well, it's cool, you know? Uh, a lot of... A lot of phones still don't, you know, even for, I think, the Nexus phones. Um, although, speaking of Nexus phones, just briefly, some rumors about the upcoming Nexus phones of this year that they're going to have a Verizon-branded version of them. I saw uh, that. Which is going to have a locked bootloader and the normal Verizon crapware. And the <laughs> question is, is it even a Nexus at that point? Like, why well, Why is this happening? If, if you remember the Samsung Galaxy Nexus. I remember. That was the uh, bend over and take it version. Right, Well, which is why they discontinued it. So my question is, why are they going back to that if it was such a disaster the last time they tried? I think it's probably because Verizon probably went to Google and said, you're not going to get on our network with your Nexus device if we don't have a Verizon version of it. Sometimes Verizon... No, I I changed my mind. It's always Verizon. (laughs) Those guys suck. You don't miss them? No, I, I really don't. I'm much much happier to be on, you, on T-Mobile. You saw and, that T-Mobile is like I think ranked number two or number one in terms of uh, speeds and coverage. Oh now. wow, that's so, awesome! So they're 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 coming up, and I think the CEO even said recently that they're going to beat Verizon in terms of coverage within the next year. That's, well, they did buy all that new spectrum, which yes. is cool, and there's more coming. But I mean, yeah, I'd be on Google Fi if I you know I have a, a nice family plan with T-Mobile that I stick with. Uh, but you know, Same. Google <laughs> Fi is basically built on the back of of T. T-Mobile, and then it also utilizes Sprint and U.S. Cellular, so you you get all the nice T-Mobile bits, um, but you have to have an Nexus device, which I do. 
So, yeah, Michael, you've got Google Fi. How do you like it? It's pretty good. I haven't really noticed any issues with it compared to other people having service issues other than when I was in Yosemite and people like with Verizon had service in some places and I didn't. Um, gotcha. That's been great. Yeah, I just carry two phones. <laughs> well, not all of us get that opportunity. One's time deterrent and one's recalling people, right? <laughs> yeah. You have to have a third phone, one that you give away to pickpockets when you go to Brazil. Yeah, I'm not going to Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, our last topic in tech whole new crop of graphics cards coming out. We've talked before on the podcast about the GTX uh, 1080 and 1070. At the time, the 1060 wasn't out. And I, I mentioned that AMD had the forthcoming, um, what is it, the 470X? Or 480. Four, RX 480. So, uh, and since then, they have the, the 470 and 460 variants as well, right? Yeah. You, you skipped one, though. Um, so, yes, 480, RX 480 is out. I've got that. Um, 1060 is out. I've got that. Um, there's also the um, 460 and 470, like you mentioned. I do not have those, but, I mean, they're kind of mid-range, low-end cards. Right. They're very cheap. Um, do you know what the price ranges are on those? It's like 150 and like 100 So like, Wow, that's they're, really They're affordable. very affordable, and they the 470 is actually a cut-down 480, so... It's a really good value. AMD's wheelhouse has always been low-end value. Well, when you have NVIDIA dominating like they are at the high end, you're pretty much stuck there. The sad part is that AMD is doing better in terms of competitiveness in the uh, graphics market than they are in the CPU market. So you look at the graphics market and go, man, these guys are getting slammed. I feel so bad for them. And you go, oh, if that's how you feel, do not look at how they're doing on the CPU side of things. Right. So what what I'm thinking is... um, you know, when it comes to GPUs right now, now is the time to buy. You pretty much know what the market looks like. And the only GPU that I think is pretty much out of everybody's reach is the new Titan X. Which is, it's weird that they gave it the same name as last year's I model. I kind of don't really like that they did that, and I kind of gave them crap for it. But they, they say that it's, you know, they built a strong brand and whatever. I call it the Titan XP. Because it's based on Pascal. Right. They should have gone with some naming right. scheme like that. Something that at least differentiated, or at least the Google model of stick the year that it came out after right. it. Right, something. But whatever. Um, but the, the real kick in the nuts is that it's $200 more than the previous generation. Right. Which makes it $500, actually no, $600 more than a 1080. So if you buy two 1080s and you get them for $599, which will be difficult, um, but if you get two of them... Uh, it will be the same price as getting one Titan X. Right. Although, you know, there's always downsides to using SLI, but... And the Titan X is definitely a better card. You know, I've looked at the benchmarks. It is better, but I think it's something like 20 to 30% better in most cases. Right, and if the game supports SLI... double the cost. Yeah, and if the game supports SLI, two 1080s will crush it. Oh, yeah, it won't even be close. No. You're going to be looking at at significantly more performance. Right, so, I mean, you know, there's a lot of good GPUs out there. Um... I think the the, the, the the one that everyone kind of wants is a 1080 because they know they That's can That's what I'm of, planning on getting. They can kind of afford it. And yeah, yesterday the EVGA came out, the uh, 1080 the, hybrid. The uh, inbuilt water cooler, which I now want to purchase because the last time I had the original GTX Titan and I did stick a you know a liquid cooler on it, a, a CPU liquid cooler using NZXT's uh, you bracket. know replacement bracket. That was a huge pain. And <laughs> and looking at the price differential between a base GTX 1080 and one with the water cooler built in, it's almost the same, you know, cost as yep. it would be to buy 
a separate water cooler and bracket and do the installation myself. So I'd much rather buy the all-in-one solution. It's just easier to just pay the money and not deal with the pain. Yeah. And you get the warranty. So that's the other it's, benefit. It's a win-win there. Um, but yeah, and when it comes to GPUs, like, you know, for VR, um, for regular gaming, the reality is, um, you know, you can pretty much go from 200 bucks with an RX 480 all the way up to 1200 bucks with a Titan X. But any of those from $200 all the way up to $1,200 will play VR games that are available That's right awesome. Now. Yeah, now you're looking at affordable VR right. PCs. I've seen some officially branded ones coming out. I think they start in the $600 range. Yep. So, so actually at VRLA, AMD announced a partnership with Amazon and CyberPower, and they announced a specific computer, like a special SKU, that they would sell on Amazon for $683. Wow. Whole PC with an AMD RX 480, and it's capable of VR. And it's certified, so like that GPU will let you play Oculus and Riot. That's pretty impressive. And Rift titles, yeah. I mean, five titles. So, it's it, you know, GPUs are an enabling thing, and a lot of people want to get GPUs either because they want to improve their game performance or because they want to get ready for VR. Because I think a lot of people, you know, they don't want to make that double jump, right, by the GPU and the, and, the, and the VR headset. Right. I think a lot of people want to have that VR-ready PC and then save up for the headset. Um, so yeah, I know a lot of these new GPUs that are more affordable and higher performance are really, really great. And I'm excited to see what that will look like for uh, VR. Yeah. The truth is I, I probably didn't need to upgrade from my GTX Titan in order to be VR capable, but, uh, you know, I'm playing on my 3440 by 1440p monitor. I was like, man, I really wish I could crank the settings up just a little bit more. So you, you, would, be, uh, you would actually be on the cusp because I had my Titan originally and you're kind of like on the edge. You're like acceptable, but not good. Which is crazy considering it was a $1,000 graphics card that's only like three years old. That's how fast the technology yes. moves. And NVIDIA has especially accelerated that. Cause right. Pascal was like a, a significant leap in performance. I mean, the reality is the, the Titan X, the new one, because we have to do that. Um, <laughs> the new Titan X is like almost 100% faster than the previous generation. Yeah. Because... It's like lower. It's a it's a new new architecture and it's a different process. So you're going from 28 to 14 nanometer, and you're going from Maxwell to Pascal. So it's like the double whammy. Right. In Intel terms, it's both a tick and a talk in one gen. Yeah, and that's a that's an awesome result. Right. I I wish I could afford one right. of those. I think I think a lot of, of people do. But you know, <laughs> I mean, the other thing is, you know, the, these new GPUs are going to translate into better laptop GPUs too. So you're going to have yeah, you know, the the real benefit is, you know, switching to these smaller architectures is the power savings are significant. So you could run at almost full capacity with a, a much lower load. And so right. what you're getting is desktop components going into laptops with just, you know, lower thresholds. Whereas before it was cut down versions of the graphics right. cards going into mobile. You, you no longer have to account for the, the mobile GPU reduction percentage. It's right, no longer which is a percentage. crazy. Right. I mean, that's just been... A part of gaming forever. You say, well, do you want a gaming PC or do you want a gaming laptop? Well, there was a, which is a real sacrifice. There's the desktop 1080 and then there's the mobile 1080 and you're like, uh, the mobile 1080 is not really a 1080. It's like, you right. know, 70, 60, 50% of what the 1080 is. Now it's like 80 to 90%. So it's crazy. Um, and I'm excited to see what happens because, you know, these, these new GPUs are enabling interesting and new form factors like a VR backpack. So, HP has a VR backpack called the Omen X, and I actually got to try it out at SIGGRAPH, and they officially kind of showed it off at VRLA, but I had a chance at SIGGRAPH to try it out. And honestly, 
as someone who has a VR headset and has been using VR pretty extensively, I could not tell that I was wearing a backpack wow. in terms of performance. Obviously, the weight on my back. But right, it from a performance perspective, it wasn't noticeable. Yeah, it wasn't noticeable. And this <laughs> thing has hot swappable batteries that last an hour. And the, the secret, I think, is the fact that they don't throttle anything. So the performance is akin to a desktop PC because it's got an i7 in there and it has an RX 480. So, you know, you're kind of experiencing the desktop experience in a backpack. That's pretty no impressive. Throttling. Well, this sort of ties into, you know, we're talking about what, what you can do in a smaller form factor. And we talked about this in an earlier episode of the podcast. But, you know, uh, the ex, uh, upcoming Xbox Project Scorpio, they were talking about bandwidth. And, and I was talking about how the specs matched up with some of the promises from, you know, NVIDIA's latest cards and didn't quite match up with AMDs, even though Xbox typically utilizes AMD parts. Yeah. But, um, you know, the expectation is that this huge leap in performance... Uh, across the GPU market is going to trickle down to like the console market. I'm still skeptical of their claims. I'm, I'm really curious right. to see how they implement that level of throughput um, on what will almost certainly be a cut down desktop GPU, most right. likely from AMD. But right. uh, you know, at, I, at least alludes to some of the the potential for what so it can do. What's interesting is this: they said the Xbox One S was the same as the Xbox One, but they lied. But they lied in a good way because it's actually faster. Right. So they under-promised and over-delivered, which is rare. (laughs) So I I have a feeling there's a possibility we could see something similar. Maybe not. But the fact that Microsoft under-promised and over-delivered was a bit odd. Um, I think they were trying to keep, you know, Xbox One sales from completely, you know... Tanking. Tanking. But at the same time, it's nice that they did that. And I genuinely believe that the new Xbox, since it's going to be a holiday 17 kind of thing... I think it's totally possible that the new Xbox is going to have not this current generation of AMD GPU, but the one that we're expecting to see in the beginning of next year, because that one is way closer to what what is being claimed in terms of performance. Right. I was going to say, then, there's no way that the current gen, even right. the top level cards can come anywhere close to that. Right. And the thing is, you know, they're going to have to be special bin and they're going to have to be lower power than what they are now. So really it's going to be, it should be, or it needs to be you know, the higher end architecture scaled down for Xbox. And then you'll get to see, you know, this, this performance level that they're promising. But it is almost certain that it's going to be an AMD part in there, right? I I, I can't imagine Microsoft going with it. 99.999% done deal. I, I would be completely and utterly shocked if it wasn't AMD. Yeah. I I saw online today that the, uh, Sony, uh, Sony's having a uh, conference since early September, which yeah. is the rumored uh, Neo yeah. announcement. So I think they said Tokyo Game Show. I think no, there's actually at, in New York. There's a, a special s- event. Wow, yeah, there's a special event. So they decided not to do Tokyo Game Show. I guess not. Yeah, anyway, they probably show it there too. We announced it first in September and then showed it again at Tokyo Game Show with more, you, like a more imminent release. Could so, you imagine if either of these ended up utilizing NVIDIA components? I mean. It's, it's a hypothetical, because let's be honest, neither of them would go to NVIDIA and come away with any sort of profit margin on these consoles. There's no way. AMD is by far the better pro, you know value proposition for them. But I'm just thinking from a hypothetical standpoint, if they went to NVIDIA and said, let's make a game console together, that would be something interesting to see. Well, the, the rumor is that NVIDIA is involved in the NX. Really? You didn't know that? No, yeah, because the NX, a rumor. We, we've been ragging on Nintendo for a while for underpowered, you know, well, hardware well, and well, gimmick and... Uh, let me stop you there. It might be a Tegra. 
<laughs> no, so that I did. I did hear that we talked about it uh, in our last podcast. Actually, that it was going to be the same, the X One, the same processor used in the Pixel C. For a second, I forgot about that and thought you were talking about desktop components. Yeah. And now I'm thinking, yeah, that's right. We we talked about the rumored Tegra X One going on to right. the NX, but which I, is. I don't think it'll be an X One. I think it'll be a next gen Tegra. Even if it is, the well, the Tegras Tegra? have always been really underwhelming for the generation that they're in, in my opinion. I, I would have to disagree with you. Um, they're underwhelming as mobile processors, but they're not underwhelming in terms of embedded because they have very powerful GPUs, and those GPUs have mostly been throttled by the fact that they're in a mobile form factor. But if you put it in a console... You no longer have that thermal and power limitation. But the NX is supposed to be a hybrid where it's supposed to de-dock and you can use it as a mobile device. Right, but it's going to be a tablet, which kind of fits into what NVIDIA can do. Um, plus, the reality is you don't need as much horsepower when you're on a small mobile screen than you would if you were on a gigantic TV. So what I think what I think will happen if they do utilize a Tegra is it'll downclock when it goes to battery power and it'll, you know essentially um, dock down and become a, a console, you know, like an Ouya would have been. Right. Um, and I think it's totally possible that you could really have an interesting console concept with that. I mean, it'd be cool, I guess, but I'm still... The fact that there's a mobile part going into uh, a gaming console at all doesn't bode well for Nintendo, who has this history of underperforming consoles. In any case, I don't want to jump into the Nintendo discussion. We got our daily Nintendo shitting on. Yeah, exactly. We, we do this in almost every podcast, and I, I don't want to get sucked into it again. Uh, let's move on to the gaming sec or gaming. Let's move on to the gun firearm section, uh, which it is sort of gaming because I'm talking about games uh, with guns, oh, right? Oh, boy. Similarities, uh, differences. So, um, you know, there's some things that, that games always get right about fire, or not always, often get right about guns, and some things that they pretty much always get wrong. So, uh, for example, something that they do well is um, the class of firearm in a video game often correlates to what it is in real life. So you look at, like, Halo 5, right? They've got um, an, an SMG, a submachine gun, an AR, you know, assault rifle, a BR, a battle rifle, a DMR, designated marksman rifle... And a sniper rifle. And they all sort of move up in terms of power and distance and fire rate. Uh, and that sort of corresponds to what you get in, in the real world, right? Where there are these these classifications. A submachine gun in the real world shoots um, pistol ammunition. Uh, it's really meant for close quarters. You have these small, small guns. Um, an assault rifle is more of an intermediate cartridge uh, designed for medium distance engagements, often fully automatic. A battle rifle will be, you know, single shot typically and, and go out to further distances. Um, and then a designated marksman rifle is something like a, a battle rifle with a scope uh, designed for sort of long range engagements. Um, and, uh, what about an energy sword? An energy sword is not, not so accurate. <laughs> okay. But uh, a sniper, of course, is, you know, you've got a long scope, you've got a lot of power, you're hitting out. Um, long range. Uh, so, long distance pew. So, yeah, at least games sort of got that right, although some things they didn't get right, um, for example, in Call of Duty or other sort of realistic shooters, they'll give you two sidearm options, you know, a semi-automatic and a revolver. And the revolver is always way less accurate and way more powerful. And That's that has wrong. no basis in reality. You know, there's no reason, obviously depending on the caliber, that... Yeah, the kick maybe is the... 
it's it's not going to correlate, you know. It's not a 50 if it's, if it's a, you know, if it's a 44 Magnum revolver versus a 9 millimeter pistol, yeah, it's going to have more kick, so you'll be less accurate, and it will be more powerful. But if you're dealing with like a 38 Special versus a 9 millimeter, they're pretty much equivalent rounds. You know, it's going to be the same level of accuracy, the same level of damage. You're just going to have smaller capacity in the revolver, and re- reloading is is way harder. I mean, obviously, games do this for balance. You have to differentiate your stuff somehow. But it's sort of a sticking point, especially when you see weird things. I forget which Call of Duty it was, but they had a, a revolver, and you could get a, a snub nose version, which would somehow increase range and decrease accuracy or something We've like had that. We've this before, too, with, like, suppressor attachments. How, how does that decrease damage, right? Yeah, exactly. How? Oh, it, yeah, I've seen that multiple times. Because it's quiet, therefore, it, it, it doesn't, doesn't go as far, it doesn't hurt as That's much. That's all balancing. Actually, right, but. I think they do that in Counter-Strike. If you put the suppressor on the M4, it actually reduces the damage, um, and I think it also affects accuracy. I'm not 100% sure on yeah. that one, but... Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and the funny thing is, you know, Counter Strike, which has kind of been one of those games that was, you know, moderately accurate in terms of how they, you know, name the guns and well, except for how they manage the AR, where you pull on the forward assist to reload, and that would break your gun in real life. (laughs) Yes, so that plus the fact that they still, I I think they might still do this, but I think they call magazines clips. They and all the models were reversed from they, they like mirrored the images of the firearms. I forget why, <laughs> but all the stuff that was typically on the left side of the gun moved to the right side of the gun. This was in the original Counter Strike. Yeah, potentially. I, I, I don't, I don't know. remember that. I was too young for that. I genuinely <laughs> do not remember. Do not remember that. You but. do run faster with a knife in real life, though. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> it's lighter. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that's fair. I'll, I'll give them that one. Um, but some stuff, you know, those make sense as far as game balancing, even though it's like right. you know. You're everyone, like, why? This doesn't make any sense. Everyone uses a suppressor in that case, right? If there was no... Like, right, there's no penalty it. associated with it. But some things that it'd be cool if games did better is sort of like, you know, squad-based gameplay, where in real life, you know, military engagement, you're going to have like a machine gunner laying down sort of a suppressing fire. They're going to be making patterns of, of shooting, which is not going to be particularly accurate, and that'll sort of allow their troops to, you know, the rest of their squad mates to reposition and, and maybe take other shots or, you know, in the case of our real-life military, most of the time they're going to be calling in air support, you know? I feel like you're starting to describe, like, my ideal battlefield team. <laughs> like you have one person of each class type on your squad, and you got your medic to revive people go down, and you got the person with the machine gun laying suppressing fire, maybe you have a sniper in the back that's, like, giving you extra cover, you know? So I think, you know, you just got to find the right game that kind of gives that. Yeah, but I feel like no game really does it well, and I know Kilroy loves to bring up Arma because it's hyper-realistic, but that makes it incredibly boring, too. Um, but I, I wish there was a way to sort of make it, you know, realistic, but also still enjoyable and really reward players for, for playing together as, yeah. a, as a squad think, with different roles. I think the best one for that is uh, the Ghost, Ghost Recon? No, no uh, Rainbow Six, new Rainbow Six game. You're right. That, that, that one, does a good job. Of I it. think that game is probably the most fun, probably closest to being most realistic, and requires you know a good level of balance in terms of roles in the game. I think that's probably my favorite shooting game in terms of realism FPS and still and, yeah. enjoyable. It's really. I mean, I could pick it up tonight and yeah. have fun. It's a great game. Yeah, we played it over. It was it was free over the. Uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before. Right. You should buy and, uh, it because I have it, and some of my friends. Okay, I mean, it was enjoyable. <laughs> After a while, I got a Hard little sucks. tired of it, because it's, you know, it's a lot of sort of, like, waiting time, 
Um, when you and, die, yeah. Well, yeah, but also like <laughs> anticipating and whatever, and very yeah. little action, which is well, you know that's more realistic, realistic right? Exactly. I mean, you're not going to just like bum rush the terrorists. But that's <laughs> right. why I'm excited that you're getting Battlefield because that'll be fun. I think to play in a squad base, you get like bonuses and points for like suppressing yep. enemies and things like that. Oh, okay. So I'm glad they're rewarding. They do that reward now. that type of type of gameplay. That's what you kind of go as. I think they've rewarded that for. A long yeah, time. It, was in, it was in Battlefield Four. I'm, yeah. I'm probably was in Battlefield Three too. Yeah, you definitely got the squad. I didn't enjoy those games though, so I'm hoping Battlefield. Again, I, I think this thing because you haven't played it with me. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see come this fall. Um, one other uh, aspect that you don't really see in games with one notable exception is Plunging Fire. So Plunging Fire takes the idea that, you know, ammo drops. And some games do incorporate ammo drop. Right. But Plunging Fire is specifically aiming high so that the bullets drop on your opponents. And it's not specific to small arms fire. It can be artillery or whatever. And games don't often make really good use of that except for... Modern Warfare 2 with the noob tube because you would, you know, say, aim straight up and you shoot. See, you would see clips online people playing Battlefield, like getting sniper shots where they like aim above the target and like actually use like crosshairs within the scope to like get bullet drop effects. And right. Like well, so that's cool that they have the bullet drop effect, but I'm talking p- plunging fires a little more like aiming aim up and, and hoping it'll drop. Like yeah. say someone is behind cover uh, and you uh, can't reach them, you'll shoot up. Gotcha. So that it goes over the cover and hits the person behind it. It's like those bullets when they're like celebrating the Middle East and they sh- shoot bullets straight up in the air and they end up killing people because right. of plunging fire. Interesting fact about plunging fire, by the way, your example made me think of it, is bullets will reach terminal velocity on the way down. Right. What actually kills them is not the velocity of the bullet dropping, but rather the horizontal trajectory of the bullet. It's almost impossible to shoot it straight up. Okay. So it will have enough it force to move. going in the horizontal, the, you know, along the X plane. Right. Um, and that's what causes the, the damage. Yeah, because otherwise it's like dropping a bullet on someone's head from really high up. Right, because it's terminal velocity. Right. Sounds like a good Mythbusters episode. I think they did one on that, yeah. actually. I'm not exactly sure. We should test that out in the desert. Okay. Let's not. Let's not. <laughs> not on a human. I'll start obviously. running. You guys <laughs> We'll just do it with watermelon. Give me a helmet. A Kevlar helmet. Let's I can't Ow. imagine that going poorly at all. But yeah, I mean, it, it's cool. Like, there are these things that games get super right and some things that they get super wrong. And it's sort of this balancing act of, do you want to make it super realistic or do you want to make it as fun as possible? Right. And And... I have to imagine that there's some sort of balance between the two that it can straddle both realms so, nicely. You haven't been to my house to try out the VR yet, but there's a game called Horseshoes... Yeah. Hot Dogs and Hand Grenades. I saw it. I saw Kilroy play yeah. it at your house. Yeah, so that has the most realistic gunplay of any game, and it's really kind of annoying almost. Speaking of which, I saw on Reddit today a clip of that game yeah. where someone was saying, yes. guns are easy, and they're there <laughs> trying to load the magazine into the gun, and they, they can't get it at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, that, that, I actually saw two clips on Reddit today of that same game, and one was, they're trying to get the, the right. grenade launcher yeah. to work, That's and one. it's not the easiest, and then they're trying to get the 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 load to load a mag in a I think it was a pistol yeah it was a yeah. pistol and they just couldn't get it in <laughs> I appreciate that game's level of, of realism with regards to what needs to be done to load the, the gun you know you gotta put the mag in and rack it and uh, maybe turn off the safety yeah I remember Kilroy I, ran into that problem the first time he played the game he he was like wait why isn't it shooting oh the safety's on the, <laughs> on the gun yeah I don't cool. think there are very many games that Chill have that right. kind of right. realism. <laughs> So, anyways, uh, I guess that's pretty much all I had to say on the topic of, of guns and video games for today. Um, I did want to do a quick walkthrough of basics, and we, we sort of covered this on some of the articles on Not Operator. 
Um, shameless plug. Shameless plug, yeah. NotOperator.com, which I imagine you've heard of if you're listening to this podcast. I hope so. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, we cover some of the basics in these articles, but I wanted to go over them now, especially for Michael's benefit, because I don't think he reads the articles on our site. Um, (laughs) It's been a while. (laughs) So um, the area that I think I'm most comfortable in is is pistol mechanics. Uh, And so something that really matters to me and puts me at odds with the gun community in general is um, single-action-only firearms. So uh, to sort of break it down, the basics are there's there's three types of, of actions, which are single-action-only, double-action-only, and double-action-single-action. Action. Uh, that's SAO, DAO, and DASA. So the most common type of, of uh, semi-automatic you'll find these days is a DASA, a double-action-single-action. Action. Um, and so what single-action means is Pulling the trigger will do a single action, which is to drop the hammer forward. Uh, if the hammer is not back, pulling the trigger does nothing. So the hammer has to be at back in order for the trigger to so do anything. So like those like old school Western revolvers, right? Where you kind of pull the trigger back, those fan the trigger to shoot it. Single action only revolvers, right? Uh, the old Colt, uh, you know, Colt Navy revolvers, whatever the eighteen hundreds uh, used in the Civil War and stuff. Um, there's you. also double action only, which is the trigger will always do two actions, right? So as you pull back the trigger, it will pull the hammer back. And as you finish pulling the trigger, the hammer will drop forward. Uh, and then the hybrid of that is double action, single action. And before I explain that, I want to explain how single action translates to a modern semi-automatic. So like you said, with those old school revolvers, every time you fired, you had to pull the hammer back manually. On a modern semi-automatic, when you pull the trigger, you know, you, you put the round, rounds in the in the mag, mag goes in the gun, you rack the slide. Chamber Racking the slide will put the, the round in the chamber and at the same time pull that hammer back. So when you pull that trigger, the hammer's going to drop forward, it's going to hit the firing pin, the firing pin hits the primer on the round, uh, that ignites the gunpowder inside the round... Uh, and the explosion of that force drives the bullet out of the out of the chamber and through the barrel. And at the same time, the force of that recoil pulls the slide back again, and the slide puts the hammer back down. So you're ready to shoot again. So single action only does not mean that on a semi-automatic you always have to thumb back that hammer. It's a semi-automatic. It does it for you. So the way a double single action works is you're not going to keep it in what they call a cocked and locked position. So like a 1911... You usually have a round in the chamber, the hammer is back, and the safety is on, and that's how you carry the gun. Um, a double action, single action will typically have a decocker, which is you put the round in the chamber, you rack the slide, and then you safely bring the hammer up, and that's how you carry it. So that first shot that you fire is going to be a longer trigger pull because it's going to have to do both actions. One of pulling the hammer down, right. and the second half of that trigger pull is going to drop the hammer forward. What kind of gun is an example of that? Uh, most. I mean, a, a SIG is going to do that. Most modern SIGs that are not single action only, like a P226, a P229, a P220, those are all going to be um, double action, single action. Yep. A CZ, a Beretta, you know, the M9, which is what the standard army issue is. Uh, those are all double action, single action guns. Glock. Glock is not. It's a it's a safe action. Right. Because is what the, they call it. I'll, I'll the get into that the way it's designed, in a right? sec. Um, and so the benefit of having the double single action is, say you have a light prime, uh, light strike, right? You pull the trigger, uh, the hammer drops forward, the firing pin hits the primer, 
and nothing happens because it, it didn't hit it hard enough. Well, with a single action, you either have to pull the hammer back and try again or take the round out or whatever. With a double single action, out. you can try pulling that trigger a second time and hopefully it'll strike with enough force this time to, to shoot that round. I was going to say, you probably want to take the round out. Yeah, but, you <laughs> know, in, in a panic fire. situation, you might want to be like, you know, your panic reaction might be pull that trigger again. Right. And Th- throw the gun. <laughs> throw the gun. Um, and so the, the disadvantage of having a double single action is that the trigger itself tends to have a lot more play in it. So... I'm a huge fan of single action only guns. I think the trigger feel is much better. Um, I like the flick safety off and shoot the gun rather than have a very awkward first shot and much easier follow up shots, which is how the, the double action single action feels to me. You pretty much never see double action only semi automatics because the ham- the, the slide is going back every time it's going to cock that hammer for you. What you have is modern revolvers are almost all double action only. Because there is no slide to put that hammer back, and nobody wants to be pulling the hammer back themselves like they did in the olden days, you know. So typically, when Just you're talking about yes, <laughs> what typically when you're talking about double action only, you're talking about revolvers, um, and then cool guys use single action. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Only the coolest. <laughs> the ones with mustaches. I don't have a mustache though, but I do like single action guns. Do you have any? Do I have? Yes. Oh, yeah. I have. Uh, my P226X5 Tactical, which is a single-action-only variant, and it's awesome. It's a very nice gun. Uh, time to get a mustache. Time to get a mustache. <laughs> um, so when it comes to stuff like Glocks uh, and, you know, M&P and whatever, they have what Glock calls a safe-action trigger, where if you... There's, like, a, a trigger with, like, a secondary little trigger block embedded inside where your finger has to push on both of them in order for it to drop the firing pin. It's a striker-fired gun. There is no hammer. Right. Uh, a striker-fire basically means that there's just the firing pin inside and it's, you know, released by by the trigger itself and it drops forward. Um, and what that does, it, it operates not exactly... It's, it's kind of like a single action in the sense that if you pull the trigger uh, and nothing happens, you can't pull the trigger again. <laughs> um, you'll have to rack it. The downside is there is no exposed hammer, so you can't just pull back that hammer and try again. Right. Uh, you just have to rack the slide to reset that striker. Or try hard. Uh, and they call it safe action because if anything catches on just the edge of the trigger, it won't pull. You have to completely pull it, push on, you know, the full trigger in order to get that action. I don't like it personally. Yeah, there's it no safety. There's no decocker. Uh, they say the only safety with a Glock is your finger. And, I mean, that's good practice, but... Personally, it doesn't appeal to me. Not to mention, I don't particularly like the, the grip angle on a Glock, anyways. Uh, so that's a that's a no go for me. Well, the thing is, I actually personally prefer guns without safeties, but I don't. Just, I just don't like the Glock. Um, I, I prefer to treat my guns like you said, always loaded and ready to fire. But I also don't really plan on carrying, and I wouldn't want to carry a gun without a safety. <laughs> yeah, that's a little that's a little concerning. Although, you know, some people are worried about having a gun with the hammer back. You know, in a single action only, carry is cocked and locked. That hammer is down and people say, you know, what if you drop it? What if something happens? These guns are engineered to not have the hammer drop forward. But still, the, the fact that it's there waiting, that, that a spring could theoretically just drop that hammer forward and, and, uh, shoot, you in the foot. and shoot you in the foot is, is too much. Like I said, they're designed and engineered to right. not do that. If there were any design flaws, the manufacturer would be super sued. I but, mean, um, you really... Sh- I mean, no gun should ever really be bump-fired or drop-fired, so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, 
they all pass drop tests. Let's put it that way. The gun manufacturers don't want lawsuits. They make sure their guns stand up to abuse because right. they're expected to be in those sorts of situations. Um, so, yeah, that just sort of covers some of the basics of, of pistol actions. Thank you. Um, yeah, my preference for single action is you get that really light trigger pull. It's consistent every time. Uh, you don't have to deal with that long first pull. And having a safety is just intuitive to me. But the market disagrees with me. The vast majority is double action, single action. So, you know, what do I know? Which is actually funny because I really prefer a single action on my rifle. And, oh, I mean, at least on the trigger pull. In terms of oh, how, single how, stage? Single stage, right? That's not a little the, different yeah, in terms of function. Right. No, I don't I mean, want to get into single yes. stage and double stage triggers okay, this time. Okay. Yeah, but you, you reminded me of that because you were talking about the trigger pull. Right. And, I mean... Yes. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll leave that for po- another podcast. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I think that wraps up uh, this episode of Not a Podcast, the Not Operator Podcast. Could we do the gaming section again? We we could. We won't, but we could. Okay. Uh, so I think we're going to call it for episode six, uh, and we'll see you next time. Good night. See you later.